Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. We're slumming it today, Cheeseman. It's Monday noon, and I'm already drinking. That must mean... Yes! That Ethan Bloomfield is on the show. What's up, everybody? I am Joel Cheeseman of the Chad and Cheese Podcast, joined as always by Chad Sowash. And today, we welcome to the show, it's a long title, CRO of Truckers Report, industry veteran and friend of the show, Ethan Bloomfield. Ethan, welcome. There he is. Thank you guys very much. Uh, here from sunny Costa Rica. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Okay. So I, we're just going to jump into this shit. Oh God! You you pushed Chad's button on that. You one. went from Massachusetts to Costa Rica in no time flat, or let's that that's at least what it seems like. How how did that all come together? And how did you no. find yourself on the beach with horses and shit? Yeah, all of a sudden there were there were pictures of Ethan barefoot on horses on the beach. And I was like, what the hell is he up to? Like, oh, he moved. Oh, well, no shit. Ah. I'm, I'm barefoot on the beach as we speak. Um, so I uh, had been traveling to visit Costa Rica for, I don't know, five or six years vacation um, uh, prior to getting married. And then since we got married, this was our, our spot. And from our first trip, we were like, this would be a great place to live. It has everything. It's the climate. It's the expat community. It's the connection to the U.S. Uh-huh. It's very free country in terms of coming and going. Um, it's actually, you may not know this, but I think one of or the only country in the world with no um, army or military. Um, crime is relatively low um, in most areas. And very, very expat friendly. And so we had been looking at homes um, down here initially as uh, a vacation home, something we could just come visit a couple of times a year. And we kind of just looked around and said, why? Why not just go and stay? Um, I'm just as far from the airport as I was in rural Massachusetts. You know, I was an hour and a half from Logan. Uh So uh, I was, you know, two hours from the airport here. I'm like, let's give it a shot for a year and and see if we want to do this. And, you know, we can always come back home and still have a place to vacation. And um, that was two and a half years ago. So <laughs> that's that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. So what about infrastructure? Because you talk about roads. I mean, Costa Rica, not quite the same roads. What about Internet? Cell signal? Yankees games. Can you get Red Sox Yankees games down there? What's up? So uh, all criteria to picking a place to live, um, yes. right? So I've got um, 100 meg down, 5 meg up. So the uploads, obviously, it's not fiber, but we've got really good internet. And having done this for a while, you figure out all the hacks to streaming anything you want. So it's a combination of NordVPN yeah. plus all the streaming services. And I pretty much get whatever I want for um, TV not always live, but for me, more important than baseball is always uh, the NFL, something Joel can't appreciate much lately. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, overall, the infrastructure is good. Roads are bad, but you know, there's a saying down here is bad roads bring great people. You know, they're, they're improving, but overall infrastructure, electricity, water, the basics, internet, electricity, 
is really solid even where we are and we're not in any kind of a city i think our population is seven thousand or so are our roads the biggest con or is there a, a bigger bigger setback than that I would say from infrastructure roads are the biggest con. The, the new biggest con, guys, is realizing I'm stuck. You know, we, <laughs> as much as it's been great to be down here um, and watching from a distance everything you've experienced, yeah. um, we we can't visit the family because um, right now the way our tourist visas work, we wouldn't be able to get back in the country. So supposedly that's going to be changing in the next month or two. But we've uh, been out of the States for eight months and, you know, it's been hard in terms of not being able to visit family and missing life events. But shoot, I mean, that's happening when you're in the States. So, um, you know, it's not the end of the world. But uh, yeah, I'd say that's the worst thing is probably the roads. So we so we probably get got ahead of ourselves there, uh, realizing that a lot of our listeners don't know who you are. You have quite an illustrious uh, past in the industry, and I want you to just sort of go through uh, why you're on the show, how long we've known you, your experience, what you're doing now, just sort of what you're up to industry-wise. And I don't want anybody who's listening to think that when I pay you compliments, I mean them. <laughs> Of course not. I'll I'll share a few, some of which neither of you probably know. (laughs) And and that goes back to fake it till you make it stories. Uh I was a dot-commer in the late 90s and and also in telecom. And as that all exploded, I ended up finding my way, long story short, into human resource publishing and eventually selection and assessment tests. And my first business was building an applicant tracking system online around an ATS, one of the first automated ATSs. You've never heard of it, but um, we had about 150 installations. And interestingly, I I had contracted with JobTarget. Can you guys still hear me? So then I joined JobTarget, which is really where it all began. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows Andrew Banaver, um, who owned the company, which eventually split into two parts. One One became the association niche job board platform, which is where he started. Then the other side, which is what he runs today, uh, was the company I helped him build, which was the one-click early distribution programmatic-ish, I guess, Hmm. um, back in the day. Um, And so I I helped join him. Um, There's a couple of good stories, uh, certainly one about Joel. So um, uh, Joel was pretty well known uh, back in those days. And, you know, I convinced Andrew, we didn't even have a product. I think I had PowerPoints that made it look like I was clicking <laughs> through web pages um, to introduce our ad distribution platform. And I was out there telling Don Raymer and John Malone, eQuest and Arbiter were done. We're coming for them. Um, and I and I walked up with some of that B, same BS. And there's this group of these, you know, stalwart industry guys sitting in San Diego on a day bed um, at an ERE conference, and there were these guys like Joel Cheeseman. Oh my God, I got to go meet this guy and Chris Russell. Oh my God, these are the most influential people in the world. Um, so I, I went over and just started shooting the shit with um, with you guys. Um, uh, was really not known for anything or having done anything in the industry at that point, but I told you I was. And, uh, we, you know, we started talking at that point and, and those were some of what I felt were, you know, or thought were some of the most exciting days of this industry, um, uh, 2006, seven, uh, leading yeah. into the, the great recession. We we're having a lot of fun and building business, had a lot of success at job target, 
uh, made it through the Great Recession uh, with them. And in 2012, I was recruited to come by Ian Siegel to go work at uh, ZipRecruiter, um, initially on the biz dev side, trying to expand the partnerships for the alerts programs. How big was it at that point? They were nobody. Right. How many people though? 20. Yeah. Okay. I was, I, I was number 18 or 19, I think somewhere in that range. Uh-huh. Uh, once we got there, we spent about the first three to six months really focused on developing the Zip Alerts platform and the the kind of uh, backfill for email product. Uh, but it became really clear to us really fast that our subscription product was the place to really focus time and energy. So I moved into sales leadership um, and helped to build this inside sales team, the outside sales team, the agency team, the customer success team. Uh, with some great partners, um, one of which has actually worked with me today, and we'll come to that in a minute. Um, in 2015, as we got from that 20 or so people to, I think we're about 250 or three, it just became clear that as a you know uh, senior sales leader, it wasn't going to work for me to be on the East Coast, and my kids were still in high school, so um, we really needed to move somebody else into those roles. So. I stepped out on very good relationship and actually it was thanks in part to Ian as well as others that I started my consulting practice, Vital Few. Um, Ian, uh, when I left, said he'd like to keep me involved. And so I stayed on as an advisor and a consultant to him and some others in the company for about a year. I was like, well, why don't I consult to other companies in the meantime, glowing endorsement from Ian. And I went on to work with about 30 or 40 other industry companies, predominantly recruitment media, um, some recruitment tech, and um, had a lot of fun with that. Around the same time that I was moving down here, um, I had come off of actually a, a, a pretty uh, a, a failed startup. Um, my, my idea around consulting was always to find products and services that would uh, that I could build based on the pain and, and challenges that companies faced. Right. And so we had built um, Outbound.ai, which was human-assisted dialing platform for sales teams, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of fell apart. And I had, a, you know, my my kind of corral of clients that I worked with, you know, just a handful. And my, my idea when I moved down here was that you know, I have a few clients. Um, my, my view of the world had changed. I don't need to be the richest guy in the game. Um, and, it, you know, it's a younger person's game. And, uh, you know, not that we're ancient guys, um, but, you know, we, we're we tired sometimes, <laughs> more tired than others. And, um, <laughs> and so, um, you know, I was down here doing that and uh, Sam – who is the owner of Truckers Report. Most of you have never met him. He's owned the site for about 12 years. It was originally just the community, which is discussions, forums, CDL practice tests. He didn't know about jobs. And he and I had met at um, IAEWS conferences or TA Tech conferences over the years. And the minute I launched my consulting practice, he had hired um, uh, Vital Few to help him out. And when I got down here, he said, you know, things are kind of getting interesting in this business on the recruitment side, but with the three people I have working here, it feels like we're kind of stalled out. How do we go next level? Will you help me find kind of an executive to do that? And I spent the weekend thinking about it and I said, Sam, was that 
were you recruiting in that conversation or, uh, <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, so he yeah. said kind of, but I didn't want to impose it upon you. I know you just moved to paradise and you'd rather be barefoot in the sand with your horses. And I said, you know, this thing is just too special to ignore. Um, so we made a deal and I decided to uh, come in and help go to the next level in a way that you just can't when you're a consultant, right? Um, and both of you guys have consulted. It is hard. Um, it is hard because your clients don't listen to you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly right. <laughs> exactly. You pushed another Chad button. It's a lot easier when you have the job and you're there all day. And so, um, you know, this company has gone since I joined from three or four full-time people. I think we're now about 30, two and a half years later, um, uh, internationally, um, and completely 100% virtually. Do you, do you miss being the entrepreneur? And I, I also, I think we learn a lot from our failures as much as our successes. And I know that you're, you're maybe downplaying the impact that you had on ZipRecruiter, particularly in the early days. But I'm curious in your failings, you know, what would you trace that back to or what would you, what did you do wrong, I guess? What, what did you learn from it? You know, this was the hardest lesson in life, Joel. And I had to learn it like three times because that uh -huh. wasn't the only failure I had <laughs> as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I'm not a founder. I'm a really good, like, I don't know if there's any better early stage hyper growth company leader. Um, I'm not a founder. And, and, and learning that was hard. It's, it's staying in it when you're, you know, not seeing the profits come out of a, a business that should be profitable. It's, it's taking the long strategy. The second is um, pick your partners carefully. And I don't have any ill will for the guys I partnered with, um, but we just had a different way of thinking about how to get to the next level. I, I, I guess I'm going to answer that. You know, I feel like I'm in the Oprah chair. I'm about to cry. Um, I, I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not that good of a founder. And, yeah. and I'm really, really good at this phase, this 10, 11, I mean, job target. It was 10 people. When I left, it was 120. Zip Recruiter, we talked about. And Trucker's Report, it was like three or four people. And now we're 30. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's the track record is really in coming in where there's, the, the claws are locked in on doing something cool, but kind of growth hacking and getting to that next level is where I've found most of then, my success. Then for the startups out there, and there are quite a few that listen to our show that are at that, you know, one, two, three, four, five to 10 people, what is the secret to hyperactively growing to that hundred plus employees? Wow. Um, <laughs> number one, it, it, it's got to be that you have the right product for the right market at the right time. And there's just no way around that. Just because you believe this is the new great thing. And that's one of the things I, I, I feel like I left my startups too early. I feel like many entrepreneurs stay their startups too long yeah. um, by, by believing yeah. that the market for what their idea is, while it might be a great idea, is a lot bigger than it actually was. Guys, you know, at the end of the day, I think we used to say we had like a seven to $10 billion recruitment media industry in 2007, eight. I can't imagine it's bigger than two or three max now, maybe lower than that in terms of overall revenue. And so there's just not a lot of big plays out there. And so, you know, you have to be totally convinced and then you have to be right. 
that you have the right product for the right market at the right time. And, and each of those companies that I worked for did, right? There was nothing for SMB in the way that ZipRecruiter launched it. Nobody right. had thought about SMB. Nobody had thought about e-commerce for recruitment postings. I used to always tell everybody in shock, you know, Monster and Career Builder, 300, 400, 700 million dollars a year in revenue. They used to tell me maybe 10 or 15% of that was e-commerce orders. Yeah. Everything else was their two to 3,000 person sales organization. <laughs> yeah. And um, ZipRecruiter cracked that code. Truckers Report, again, what we had is, a, is, that, is that unfair advantage. And that was one of the things I learned about in consulting. We had a community of drivers that was really old for the internet, right? 11 years. And we have, you know, probably the highest demand segment of recruitment media. And, and, and that's lightning in a bottle. And so um, really be willing to look at yourself and say, you know, do I have the right product for the right market at this time? Um, and if not, you know, be willing to make pivots. Um, and, you know, I, I think we've all seen the challenge with too many pivots. Yes. Um, so there's that. The other is small changes have the biggest impact. Um, the little things that you do in packaging. Look, I sell candidates to trucking companies and ad agencies, right? That's it. But how you package it, how you sell it, how you offer it, those little hacks are the things that have the greatest impact. Uh, so we went from an exclusively a performance-based CPA company, right? Um, to a kind of a mix, right company, right time of CPA clients and subscription clients. And we found that that has uh, really unlocked our ability to add 20 to 30 new trucking companies to our platform um, every single month right now. Um, so I, I hope that helps them out there. It, it's a tough one to swallow because once you've got the money and the time sunk in or invested in, acknowledging that it might not be the right product for that market at that time is challenging. But there are a lot of opportunities uh, for this technology. One of the things you and I have talked about in the past is through all of these recessions, mini and big, you know, a lot of cool tech got lost, yes. um, just got sunset. And uh, I think back to a lot of how much of it I'd like to bring back. Sure. But, um, <laughs> so that's my best well, advice. And some of that, some of that just wasn't time for adoption. I mean, just wasn't ready for adoption. Is that time now? Or are some of those concepts available now? We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. What kinds of companies should be leveraging programmatic? Every Fortune 1000 company out there, anybody with extreme volume of jobs, you're recruiting for 20 positions a year, you don't need programmatic. You can go to a recruitment marketing agency or a job board and do a direct email with your company only. You're not in with another 20 uh, companies in a job alert, or you're not just on a career site or a job board. You could do banner advertising, buy premium placements. So where programmatic, again, is one piece of the puzzle, it's not gonna ever be the end all be all. And I do believe all the programmatic uh, platforms out there have ancillary services to support that, knowing that you can't just survive on a one trick pony. For more information, go to hiring.next.com. Remember, that's next with the double X, not the triple X. Hiring.next.com. 
Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. Back to your your point of not being, you know, a founder. I mean, that's that's what I think everybody has to understand. You could be a great quarterback in high school, um, but that doesn't make you, you know, a college or a professional quarterback, right? You might have been good to a certain level, but that doesn't mean that you can help scale and go to that next level. Uh, and or you just might be a great right guard. Right. It's like it's like, how do you knowing yourself in that entrepreneurial um, kind of like development and story and just journey? If you don't really know yourself, then that's going to be an issue. And if you if you're if your investors uh, don't know who the hell they're investing in, that's that's another huge, huge issue. That being said, there's a, still a shit ton of cash being spent in this space on startups, what are your thoughts? I mean, there's so much noise. There are the conversational AI chatbots matching the higher views of the world, doing you know facial scans and recognition and those types of things. What do you think is going to stick? None of your listeners are going to like me, but let's go ahead anyways. <laughs> let's do it. Craig's list. L- let's do it. Yeah, Craig's oh, yeah. list will stick. They're great. Oh, yeah. Um, Joel, what was the most exciting thing in 2007? It was eHarmony for jobs. Vertical search. eHarmony for jobs. Everybody had eHarmony for jobs. There was like 20 of them, right? Yeah. Yep. None of them exist. No. Not a one. But there why? are so well but, because people because that's not how job search works. Well, no, no, yeah, yeah, but but still, but still you're talking about a bunch of points, right? So back then, remember, we were always talking about big data, big data, big data. The problem was we didn't have the processing power to be able to crunch that data, to be able to do any of the matches or even understand context on that data in the first place. Today, we do. So is that is there a big difference yeah, now? Yeah, no, there's no difference because here's okay. why. It's not how recruiters recruit. Some A lot of people like believe recruiters are like scouring the web for candidates <laughs> and and getting on the phone. And these are some of the best salespeople in American recruiters. Most company recruiters, non-commission based. They're not right. making an incentive for hires. Okay? Corporate recruiters, yeah. Corporate recruiters. They are screening. They are more in line with HR and process than they are with convincing the right candidate to take this job. So surfacing the right candidates with all of the technologies then and now that surface, look at the whole, you know, before this last bust, you know, we had the eHarmony bust, yeah. the eHarmony for jobs. Then we had the find the gold in your database. That was restless. I, I think they're still around crowded. It's um, still hot. Yeah. But yeah. guess what? You find somebody in there. Who's calling them? Who's calling the candidate? <laughs> so they match the candidate. And who's calling them? And so the challenge I have with a lot of the technologies, they are pieces of a puzzle, but 
Yeah. Until you fix what's inside your your company and, and the way you're recruiting or changing it, it it's not going to change what's happening. You're still mostly dealing with recruiters who are waiting for hand raisers, just like salespeople waiting for warm leads yeah. to come through the door and then screen them. So the surfacing the best to the top is an interesting idea, but I haven't seen it work. I don't even want to get into AI though. I, we can talk about it all you want. Plus the, the tech the tech that we're talking about, we took we took a paper process and all we did was is shove that paper process into technology, right? At one time, RecruitSoft, before they became Taleo, they had a single process methodology. If you didn't buy into that, well, you couldn't buy their tech because that's how they did business. Obviously, they found uh, a way to to uh, uh, customize and uh, because they knew that there was more cash there and that just fucked up the entire system. So I guess the biggest question is, what is what is fucking up recruiting the most today? Is it that we have a bunch of lazy asses who are waiting for somebody to, to raise their hand instead of proactively going after them? Or is it just way too much bureaucracy, red tape and bullshit? See, I don't even know, and 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 I'll I'll go defend our recruiters for a second. Um, I don't even know if it's lazy recruiters. I think that's definitely a thing. Um, but remember, we commoditized the candidate when we moved to CPC. Thank you, indeed, for changing yet another thing. But <laughs> the efficiency they created in the marketplace, which is what I credit them with, is they they actually showed us what the market was worth. Remember, the seven to ten billions now two to three. But here's what they did. They made it so it's cheaper for me to buy 10 more candidates than spend, you know, an hour more with two candidates, right? You understand what I'm saying? It's just easier to fill the top of my funnel. And it's, it's frankly really cheap or inexpensive. Uh, cheap might not be the right word. So um, I, I think that um, we're, we're just still not matured as an industry. The, the second thing um, we think of when we create these analogies to other areas of the internet and technology and efficiencies that have come around. The other challenge is when, when you sell widgets, you know, widget A, widget B, and widget C, and that's what you have. But when you are recruiting for Amazon corporate, you might have a thousand different job types, right? So it's not like trucking, which is beautiful, um, where it's all the same job more or less. And so every system, every efficiency does not relate to the challenge that they're trying to solve. So I don't think it's fully on the recruiters. I, I think in part it's because the the immense efficiency that we gained from the commoditization of the job ad post um, by turning it into a click um, and catching up with the rest of the world drove down the cost of acquisition of users so significantly that, that it's cheaper to buy 100 new candidates than it is to spend an hour on the phone with the first two you got. But we already spent money on those candidates. Why the fuck aren't we using them already? I mean, we have a database of candidates that we've probably bought that same exact candidate about six times over. Because the labor cost is too high. For you to go in, the labor cost is too high. We're just talking about matching, though. If you can actually but surface the candidates... All that does is surface the candidate, Chad. Well, it doesn't contact him. It doesn't convince him that a year ago when he shot you down. Isn't that what recruiters for? Uh, depends on why you define recruiter. That's what a contingency recruiter does. They sell. That's a what corporate a corporate recruiter should be doing. I mean, it's a it's an opening, right? And, and and if that individual's already applied for a job into your system, they've already shown that they're interested. 
Anybody ever say you're a bully? Everybody ever call you a bully? Every week, I do. Me? No, yeah. never. What? No, no. I, I, I actually agree with you in, in large part. Um, in 20 years in this industry, I've learned I can't change internal recruiting process to improve the results of my products and services. I can't say if you call these leads within five minutes, in order to beat all the other companies that are going to get this lead, you will make more hires from me, right? I can't change what they do. I, I've tried in a lot of different ways and a lot of different times to advocate for better process. It's just like consulting, right? You can't yeah, make like them consulting. do what they should be fucking doing. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I think it starts with compensation. I think corporate recruiters need to be incented based on successful hires. Um, more commission than base. Um, I've said that to a lot of clients. Nobody takes that advice. Most companies have very small um, performance-based incentive for their recruiting teams, and they're certainly lower paid than contingency, but good contingency. But uh, yeah, they, you know, I think it all starts with if you align the goals of the company with the goals of the individuals and move them to performance, that would be the starting point. But again, it is really hard to change big company HR policy. And recruiting falls into HR, not sales. So, Ethan, right now we're having uh, what I would call a, t- a tectonic shift in just the world in general, but also recruiting. And I'm curious on your take of as companies lay off recruiters, um, whether direct employers or staffing agencies, when the world gets back to hire- hiring again and staffing up again, do companies by and large hire back all these people to start recruiting uh, or in your case, not recruiting, recruiting, um, or do they opt in for technological solutions um, like automation? One of the things I thought about is you were saying, hey, I, I've unearthed a, a, a diamond in the rough, but now someone has to call them. Well, in automation, there's a scenario where uh, you know that person gets an email, they go to a chatbot situation, they get pre-screened, they get, they get scheduled for an interview, and then they just show up. So that recruiter, corporate recruiter, doesn't have to make a call. Automation can do it for them. Curious about your take on all that. I'm going to answer the end, and then I'm going to go back to the beginning. You, you're, however, however you want. The description was cute. That was cute. But let, let's, <laughs> let's, let's take a VP of sales who mm-hmm. gets an email because he was a needle in the haystack and enters a chat by, I'm just telling you, VP of sales, director of sales, sales manager in a thousand person sales organization, mm-hmm. uh, outside salesperson. And I'm just using sales because I don't know, I know a little bit about that, mm-hmm. but th- that's not going to engage them. You want to talk about retail? Sure. Uh, recruiters, that's that's not how you engage or re-engage a recruiter. So- I'm going to go back to the beginning. I don't think that will work in re-engagement. And I think a lot of the platforms that are looking for the gold in the ATS have not yet done it in combination with a strategy that gets somebody like onto the phone with a real human being, which is what it would take to recruit me, you, or most of the listeners of our show. And, and so I don't think that would work with a, a recruiting role, which is professional, um, you know, uh, salaried, not hourly type work. To answer your question, I, I do agree, you know, every time, and I think it's good, um, and, I, and I may get skewered for this, I think it is good when we go through recessionary periods and we do make changes in our organizations because it does force us to be extremely efficient 
with fewer resources. And I do think that good technology finally gets a chance to play a role in these organizations. So I definitely believe that recessionary trends are great for all sides. Um, I do believe that it forces consolidation on the vendor side or, you know, reduction, right? The stars continue to rise and the duds continue to, to drop out. Um, there, there are many things that we have to do to be able to obviously strengthen and become better and, and getting rid of some of this noise doesn't hurt to an extent, right? It's really hard for me as you, as you talk about all of this to think that I've spent a, a shit ton of money over the last couple of years, let's say, on attracting silver and bronze medalists who've already been through my interview process and that job comes back up again and I don't go after those people first and I don't know how I have no fucking clue how this isn't the number one step for every goddamn company that's out there I know they've been they've already been through most of the steps with us before let's go ahead hit those guys up and get some quick hires why is that so fucking hard I don't get it it's, you know, I uh, had some light involvement with uh, Crowded's Evolution. I looked at uh, an actual product doing some of the exact same things that those folks are doing. And in every single case, they got the client. They saw the value, right? The clients all signed up. This was a no-brainer for everybody to look at that existing database of candidates. And everybody... And then I'm going to give you actually the answers of how to do this because it's what I'm doing now. <laughs> but everybody said, wow, this is awesome. And then they got the list and maybe they had one recruiter that's going to call them or they tried um, sending emails or they tried getting them engaged with a chat bot, right? And, and you know, like nine out of 10 of these folks, it was a year and a half ago. They're not interested. Somebody's got to sell that job or that company and the things that have changed in a year and a half since you applied. And none of these solutions solved that problem. An email or an SMS or any other engagement, um, you know, you need such a volume of matches. When you narrow it down to 20 people in the database that are the gold for this job, mm -hmm. and all you do is send them out a mass communication out of 20 what is your expected response rate on email or text? That would be zero, folks, yeah. <laughs> right? The answer is zero. You need a thousand to get three or four to respond to you. And so the challenge is it's never been coupled. One of the major things that we've done as I've just hosed on the gold in the database concept, one of the things that we've done to continue to grow, actually unprecedentedly, unprecedentedly uh, during the COVID scenario and everything else that has gone on um, is uh, we implemented, we, we looked at everything and we said, let's, let's just go old school. Um, let's stop trying to invent new technologies. Right. Um, and so we implemented two things. The first was obvious um, email doesn't get the response rate on jobs. We implemented an SMS platform for the half a million users in our community and database who had opted in to hear from truckers report about jobs, and we simplified the process. We said, if you're interested, just say so. You don't have to click a link, fill out a form, just tell me you're interested, yes or no. 
make it really simple for the driver. Still takes having lots of them, right? The second thing we did, guys, is we built a call center. And we said, everybody else is focused on new, cool technology, AI, chatbots. You know what? My audience in particular, and and I think this is true with other audiences, want to talk to somebody. A driver does not have to apply for a job. A job applies for a driver, right? Um, And so we're unique there. That's the right place, right time, right product. But we built a call center. So we speak to somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 drivers per week about open opportunities that our clients have, and we connect them. It's all integrated. We've built our our own homegrown systems. So a lot of times, and this actually goes back to the entrepreneurial question, a lot of times stop trying to overdo cool new tech and look at things that actually have always worked, right? SMS, I have to tell you, is probably the most under, it's used, but it's not used as much as it should be. It is really, really powerful. But thank God though, right? Because if everybody was fucking using it, then then that would go down as well. Right. Like, like, uh, like email did, right? Email, email is just so hard to use and you need such a big audience, but I'll tell you the phone is magic. I get 30% answer rate. I get 30% match rate to a job. I'm a white glove job concierge. Right. And, um, (laughs) and I, I have the metrics by which I can do this at a standard cost per user acquisition. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the key. I'm not spending two hours on the phone with a candidate. It's three to four minutes reading a job ad. And, and obviously there's more uh, magic to what my team does than that. But you know they're talking about the job ad in a way that this audience is not normally communicated with. And you stand out amongst the rest. Um, I think, look, the bottom line is if you want to extract what's in your database as a job site, right? So any of the job sites out there that most of them know me, right? Or as a corporate organization, corporate recruiting organization, there's, there's absolutely, I, I endorse what Chad has been saying. There is gold in the database. Step one isn't a find the gold. Step one is to decide how you're going to communicate with them. What are the strategies and process to re-engage them? And um, from what I've seen in the past year and a half or so, um, I- I'm really hot on uh, going old school. <laughs> and just like that, Costa Rica's internet takes a dump. But don't feel sorry for Ethan. That dude's on the beach drinking beer. Anywho, thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to the Chad and Cheese, HR's most dangerous podcast today on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We out. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.